Hello, friends, and welcome to Into the Word, a radio and online program committed to reading, loving, and living the whole counsel of God. I'm your host and Bible guide, Pastor Paul Carter. Your word is a lamp unto my feet. Hope you have your Bible open in front of you today to Job chapter 19. In chapter 18, Bildad responded to Job with a fairly gruff and mechanical discourse. Bildad seems to find Job's personal anguish to be somewhat unseemly. In Bildad's mind, the universe is operating the way it is supposed to. It is a perfectly tuned moral machine. It brings the wickedness of the wicked down on their head. It makes us reap what we sow. It catches us in the snares we have laid. And therefore, what has happened here is that the world has finally caught up with Brother Job. The machine has caught onto his robe and is beginning to pull him into the gears for a time of reckoning and recompense. And instead of whining and complaining about it, Job should confess, repent, and mend his ways. That's how you win release from the jaws of the machine. In response to that very mechanical view of the world, Job begins to speak of God in intensely personal ways. It is almost like Job is being driven to an immensely personal view of God in reaction to and in rejection of Bildad's immensely mechanical view of God. Everything in this chapter is attributed to God. God did this, and God did that. God is not just the prime mover in this chapter. He's the soul mover. Here, too, in this speech, we see Job at his lowest and at his highest. He is reacting to Bildad, and he is rebounding from near total despair. So there is a lot of movement in the speech and several critical narrative and theological developments. With all that being said, hear now the word of the Lord, beginning at verse 1. Then Job answered and said, How long will you torment me and break me in pieces with words? These ten times you have cast reproach on me. Are you not ashamed to wrong me? And even if it be true that I have erred, my error remains with myself. If indeed you magnify yourselves against me and make my disgrace an argument against me, know then that God has put me in the wrong and closed his net about me. Why aren't you on my side? Job laments. God has done this to me. But why are you helping him? Why are you adding your insult to my injury? Why can't you just wait and sit with me in this trial? That's a good question. Verse 7. Behold, I cry out violence, but I am not answered. I call for help, but there is no justice. God is a strange actor in Job's story. That's what he's saying. I can hear him moving and I can see him passing by, but when I call out for help, he does not respond. That That's the great injury in the story from Job's perspective. Why won't God help me? Why won't he talk to me? Why won't he tell me what I've done or how I can fix it? Job is asking the question, where is God in my hurt? And the answer is that he's everywhere, but saying nothing. He is behind everything, but revealing nothing. Listen to all the he's and his is in these next several verses. Verse 8, he has 
walled up my way so that I cannot pass. And he has set darkness upon my paths. He has stripped from me my glory and taken the crown from my head. He breaks me down on every side and I am gone and my hope has he pulled up like a tree. He has kindled his wrath against me and counts me as his adversary. His troops come on together. They have cast up their siege ramp against me and encamp around my tent. God is everywhere in this and yet saying nothing, revealing nothing, restoring nothing. He is out there as a force of destruction in the dark, breaking me down from every side. Why? And and he has even taken away from me the comfort of my friends. He has fabricated evidence against me that seems to proclaim my guilt. He said that in verse 6. And now he tells us the result here. All my friends have turned against me. They believe the evidence God has assembled. We see that in verse 13 and following. He has put my brothers far from me, and those who knew me are wholly estranged from me. My relatives have failed me. My close friends have forgotten me. The guests in my house and my maidservants count me as a stranger. I have become a foreigner in their eyes. I call to my servant, but he gives me no answer. I must plead with him with my mouth for mercy. My breath is strange to my wife. I am a stench to the children of my own mother. Even young children despise me. When I rise, they talk against me. All my intimate friends abhor me, and those whom I loved have turned against me. My bones stick to my skin and to my flesh, and I have escaped by the skin of my teeth. Have mercy on me. Have mercy on me, O you, my friends, for the hand of God has touched me. Why do you, like God, pursue me? Why are you not satisfied with my flesh? Job has been made a complete outcast by his suffering. Hear that. Intense suffering isolates us from other people. It does. It makes us scary, angry, odd, unpleasant, and unpredictable to our friends and loved ones. It makes us a constant reminder of everything broken, bad, and brutal about human life. And who wants that? And therefore, who wants you? Brothers and sisters, this is why the ministry of presence is so meaningful to hurting people. If there is a sister in your church who has lost a child, understand that her pain is changing her and distorting her and disrupting every other relationship that she has. It is making her irrationally angry at her husband. It is making her impatient with her friends and co-workers who really don't know what to say. It is making her doubt God and hate God, both at the same time, regardless of how irrational that is. It is disrupting every previously meaningful relationship in her life. It is isolating her. So when you go see her, don't expect her to talk. She doesn't know what to say. And if she says anything, she will probably drive you away. Just go over to her house and fill the dishwasher, do a load of laundry, squeeze her hand as she looks out the window, kiss her cheek, pray over her, and leave. 
Do that until she engages you. People who are hurting are falling down a well, and they are losing themselves and everyone else. You being willing to join them, you, you can't arrest them, you, you can't stop the plunge, but you being with them as they fall for a bit is the greatest act of kindness you can offer. Job is heading for rock bottom, but once again, when he hits it, he bounces up to the heavens. Listen to what he says next, verse 23. Oh, that my words were written. Oh, that they were inscribed in a book. Oh, that with an iron pen and lead, they were engraved in the rock forever. Here again, we see Job expressing his belief now that justice will only come on the other side. Oh, that my words were written with an iron pen and engraved on solid rock. Because if I have to wait for a million years to stand before God in judgment, I don't care. I just want an accurate account and an intelligent answer. I don't care how long I have to wait for it. Verse 25, for I know that my Redeemer lives and at the last he will stand upon the earth. And after my skin has been thus destroyed, yet in my flesh I shall see God, whom I shall see for myself. And my eyes shall behold, and not another. My heart faints within me. If you say, how will we pursue him? And the root of the matter is found in him. Be afraid of the sword, for wrath brings the punishment of the sword that you may know there is a judgment. One thing I know, brothers, Job says, I will stand before God and I will give an account. That's my only hope now. I will stand before God and my Redeemer, my mediator, my friend, that one like a son of man, he will stand with me and together we will talk to God. That's it. I'm done. That's enough. That's all I want now. I love how Francis Anderson summarizes this speech of Brother Job. He says, in this speech, Job's audacious faith reaches its climax in the famous words, I know that my Redeemer lives. He leaps to this height from a state of despair caused by the reproaches of his friends, his devastation by God, and his sense of utter forsakenness. His certainty of final vindication shines all the more brightly against this dark backdrop. Closed quote. Amen. I think that is true. But I'm wondering here if there is something even bigger than that going on. Certainly, Job's suffering makes us admire his audacious faith even more. But I'm wondering if there is an actual relationship between his extreme suffering and his audacious faith, meaning is Job able to reach this high because Job has been pressed this low? That's what I'm asking. Because I see something like that in 1 Peter 4, verse 1. Listen to what Peter says. Since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves with the same way of thinking for... Whoever has suffered in the flesh has 
ceased from sin. So here, Peter is trying to prepare these folks mentally for the coming experience of persecution. Get your head around that, he says. Just resolve to to persevere through it. Grit your teeth, bite down, set your jaw, because it's coming. But then he tries to encourage them. He gives them a little motivation. He says, on the plus side, those who make it through what you're about to experience tend to be pretty much done with sin. So if you can make it through this, the strength and sanctification that will result might even make you look back on the experience with something pretty close to gratitude. Wayne Grudem says here, following through with a decision to obey God, even when it will mean physical suffering, has a morally strengthening effect on our lives. It commits us more firmly than ever before to a pattern of action where obedience is even more important than our desire to avoid pain. Are you hearing that? Grudem is saying that if you can hold it together and maintain your faith and integrity through a time of suffering, you will be noticeably stronger on the other side. I wonder if that's what we're seeing here in our brother Job. It's chapter 19, and brother Job is still keeping it together. Barely, but still keeping it together. He has not cursed God. He is not thrown in the towel. He is holding on to what he knows to be true, and he is looking for answers and explanations, and he is not willing to settle for arguments and opinions that diminish the sovereignty or goodness of God. So he's keeping it together. He is enduring under trial. And so are we seeing him growing in faith and understanding and spiritual power as a result? That's what I'm asking. Does great suffering result in great strength? Does great pain produce great gain in terms of faith, wisdom, and understanding? That's what I think we're seeing in this part of the story. Job is pressed down, but Job is lifted up. He's seeing things now that he never saw before. He is believing things now that he never knew before. In his pain, Job has become a giant. In the dark, Job has been taught to see. I think that's what's happening here. And I think that is part of the purpose and kindness of the Lord in suffering. Thanks be to God. And thank you for listening to Into the Word. If you're interested in additional resources or previous episodes and series, you can find those over the website at www.intotheword.ca. You can also check us out on Facebook, and I hope you do. We have a growing community of Bible readers over there, and we post daily encouragements and conversation starters. Hope to see you there. And hope to see you again tomorrow, right here for another episode of Into the Word. (laughs) 